Speaking of that game, there's a lot of memories that come back. I mentioned that I, I grew up in the church. My dad was a pastor, so I spent a lot of time in the church building. I think I knew that building, Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Story City, Iowa, better than anybody else in the history of mankind. I'm just going to claim it right now. I know every single nook and cranny. And one of our favorite games to play, well, one of my favorites was when the youth group decided, I was like, I don't know, third grade maybe, the youth group decides to play hide and seek. And in my mind, I'm going, oh, they have no idea what they're up against. Pastor's kid here. I know every single spot there is. Like some people are like hiding behind the couch, you know, or, or in the choir room, Pff, cheap, right? I know the real hiding places. And so we're playing hide and go seek, and there's about 25 kids and the youth director. My parents aren't there. They're at home, and, and so they know they're expecting me to be home about 4.30. This is an after-school program. We're there for about an hour, and I'm going around, and I'm hiding, and I find the perfect spot. It's in the basement. It's in the church basement, in the kitchen, way back in the corner, underneath the sink, next to the garbage disposal. Perfect, right? <laughs> Nobody will ever look there, and I hide there for five minutes, and 10 minutes, and 20 minutes, and a half an hour, and my head is like this by the garbage disposal, so it's getting a little uncomfortable, but I am not losing this game. I'm not making a peep. I'm not making a sound. 45 minutes, an hour, right? By this time, youth group is done. I didn't know that. All the kids had gone home, but nobody even got close to me, so I didn't hear any of the voices calling out to me. The rest of everybody else had gone home. Until I hear the voice of my dad, the pastor, Jonathan, Jonathan, where are you? It's time to come home. And when I heard that voice, something in me, it's okay to come out. It's okay to come out of hiding. And so I popped out, and there is my dad with his arms crossed like this in his suit, having just come uh, from a meeting. The youth director had called my parents a half an hour after youth group was done, say, we played hide and go seek, and I think your son hit a little bit too well, right? And my dad says, my, your mother and I, we were worried sick about you and all this. And, and the youth director is almost crying because it's like her first week on the job. She thought she lost the pastor's kid. It's just a mess. And I pop out of the garbage disposal hidden underneath the cabinets. And the first thing I say is, did I win? Because that's all I cared about. Because there's a time to hide and there's a time to be found. There's a time to come home. And when I heard my father's voice, I knew that I didn't need to hide any longer. Because, I mean, how silly would it be to hide from those that love you the most? So why would it be any different in our relationship with God. Yet I wonder for some of us, even as those grown, serious adults, we've never stopped playing the game of hide and go seek. It's just that we're not hiding in kitchen cabinets, we're hiding in our work for 70 hours a week. And we never see our families because we think that'll numb the ache that we feel, the, the hole that's inside of us to be filled. For others of us, we're still hiding in that mistake that we made last week. Last month, last year, back in college, and we hide there. And we can hide there almost our whole lives. For some of you, you're not hiding in the cabinets, you're hiding in religion. Because you still think that being a good person and doing more and more good things for God is going to make him love you more. And if you don't, then maybe he'll love you less. 
God, if I just do all the right things, then maybe I'll feel that closeness again. But we hide in religion because it's easier than being vulnerable and being found and coming home. Maybe you don't feel at home this Christmas because you're holding on to a regret or a mistake. Well, you should feel a lot of company because that's the story of all of us. That's the story of God's people in the Old Testament. For thousands of years until God finally says, enough is enough. And God writes to his people through the prophet Jeremiah. This is a lesser known verse, but it just arrested me this week as I was thinking about God's heart and why he needed to come on Christmas. God speaking to his people through the prophet and he says, I remember the devotion of your youth. I remember when things were innocent, before life got so busy and so serious. I remember how you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, yet my people have forgotten me. Oh, the agony of my heart, God says. My heart pounds within me. The God of the universe, the God who became flesh and became an infant, his heart pounds within him for you to know you, to be in a relationship with you. And he says to his people and to all of us, however disconnected you might feel tonight, however far away that you've run, this isn't the way that it was meant to be. And it's not going to stay that way forever. If there's any group of people that knows what it's like to feel a distance between them, themselves and those that they love, it's, it's our military. It's these soldiers that come home from war. And I don't know why, but whenever I see these images of moms and dads coming home from the battlefields and coming back to their families, something grips me and says, that's our story. That's my story. That's your story. And so I want you to take a look at some of these surprise visits home. And as you watch, don't just think, oh, that's cute. Maybe there's something in you that'll say, that's what I was created for. Let's take a look. Something in you watching that says, I don't know any of those people. (laughs) But it makes so much sense, doesn't it? And here's why. Because parents who love their kids were never meant to be separated. And we know that in our broken world, that happens. But that same statement is true of us and our Heavenly Father as well. God says to all of us tonight, No space between us anymore. No space between us. And on a quiet night, a quiet starry night in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, the God of the universe came and landed on the doorstep of our lives. Instead of us having to run to him, he comes running off the porch down to us as a father saying, Welcome home. Not with the arrogance or pride or glamour of earthly kings, but with the gentleness and humility of an infant. Almost as if to say, I'm not going to push or pressure my way back into your life. I just want you to know tonight I'm here. And the offer still stands just as it always has. Here I am, Jesus later says, and I stand at the door and knock. If anybody would hear my voice, they would open the door and I will come in and be with them. 
You know the story all too familiar tonight from Luke 2. While they were there, Mary and Joseph, a time came for a baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room available for them. Now, I don't know about you, but how often have you read that passage or heard the Christmas story or heard Linus read the Christmas story, whatever it is, and you read that passage and you say, oh, that's nice, cute, cuddly Jesus. That's nice. That's really nice. Merry Christmas. But have you ever stopped to truly consider where there was, where Jesus came home to that first Christmas night? Where did the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords come? To a barn to a stable, to a manger. In fact, if you go to the Holy Land, you'll see that it's not a barn. It looks something more like a cave. It's a a hole and a cliff where their little bit has been cut out. And in there, in this tiny little space, are probably dozens of barnyard animals. And it's not a clean barn. This was certainly no place fit for a king. When I say it was messy, that would be an understatement. I mean messy. So you've got animals shoved in there, which means you've got animal stuff, right? I mean, you can smell it now, right? What a warm and lovely place to call home. The God of the universe comes to us and there's no home for him. Even later on in Jesus' ministry, he said, the son of man has no place to lay his head. So if you've ever been there, boy, you're in good company tonight. He has no home. Why would God do that? Why would God, of all places, choose to make his landing spot for his great invasion into earth? Why would he make it a stinky, smelly cave? Why would he do that? Why would he come there? Well, the angels later come to the shepherds and they say this. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. A sign. Do you ever wonder, you read around it like, what sign? (laughs) There's no context to that. What, What is the sign? I don't know, maybe a sign that our king isn't afraid to get messy. That he's not afraid to get messy. A sign that when Mary laid Jesus down in a feeding trough, It was as if God was saying to all of us, there isn't anywhere, anywhere in your life that I am not willing to go to call you home. If I can be there as an infant, I can show up anywhere. Oh, Mary and Joseph had their issues with the messy stable that night. Women, if you've ever given birth to a child, it's just, that's what it is. It's not pretty. It's not glamorous. Now, imagine doing that with a cow sticking over your head, right? Kind of watching what's going on. It was messy. They had issues. I'm sure Mary and Joseph had a few little arguments. You ride on a donkey for a thousand miles and see if your marriage is perfect, right? They had issues. It was a messy night. It was not a quiet night all the time, I'm sure, either, because newborn babies scream. Let me tell you about that. You know this to be true. Mary and Joseph had their fair share of issues, and so we are in great company. In fact, just to remind your people sitting around you, look at the people around you tonight and say, hey, you've got issues. Just tell them. You've got issues. Just remind them. We're all in the same place. 
Okay, some of you are enjoying that a little bit too much. You're like, I waited all year to tell my spouse. No, that's not what it's for, right? They had issues. It was messy. It was gross. And that's okay because Jesus says, I didn't come to get all fancied up in some ritzy hotel. He says, I came to get messy in your life. I came to get real. When you see the manger every Christmas, and hopefully not just one time of year, but when you see the manger, know that that's nothing compared, God says, to what I can do for you. I know all about that ugly habit. (laughs) I know all about that addiction, he says. I know all about that sin that you just can't seem to shake. I know about the messiness of your marriage right now. I know about the difficulty of being a parent. I know all about your deep desire to find that special someone to spend the rest of your life with. I know the difficult year it's been financially for you as a family, he says. I know you've reached the middle of your life, some of you, and you're looking back and you're saying, what's it all for? What have I done that's worthwhile and of significance? Life can be messy, so thank God for Christmas. Tonight, all of us here with our messy lives, it's a perfect night for Christmas because right in the middle of our fears and our joys and our pain and our struggle and our memories and our worries, even your apathy, even if you're just being honest and saying, I am indifferent to this whole thing. I'm coming and I'm going through our religious tradition. Even in the midst of your indifference, the baby who became your savior tonight says, there isn't anywhere I'm not willing to go. Even into a manger. And he says, Come home. Come home. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling to you. Come home. But the story doesn't end there. You see, it'd be great to say, oh, that's the Christmas story, and there the baby stays in a manger. But he didn't. The story is far from over. Just as much as we we can't make Jesus who we want him to be, just as much as he did not stay in the manger. Read on. (laughs) Read the rest of the story. Read the Gospels. No, the baby grew into a man, fully God, fully human. Read the stories. Do you ever ever just sit down and read the Bible and say, I'm going to put away all my experiences of the past, and I'm going to take Jesus for what he is tonight. Nobody ever loved like him. Nobody ever served like him. Nobody ever had compassion like him. No one has ever transformed people's lives the way that he has, including so many of you sitting here tonight, who humbles themselves enough to spend time with all the other people that everybody else has forgotten about, the sinners, the misfits, those that thought they were too far away from home to be found. In fact, dozens of times, Jesus is discovered hanging out with the sinners, with the the ragamuffins, the outcasts of society. And because of this, that baby in a manger grew up to become a man who got one of the coolest nicknames ever. Jesus, friend of sinners. Is that the Jesus that you know tonight, or is your Jesus nice, soft, cuddly, safe little baby in a manger? Or is he a man who wants to serve you, who wants to love you like you've never been loved, and a God that wants you to let him out of the box and let him be who 
he is. For thousands of years, not just the gospel writers themselves, but for thousands of years, God has transformed people's lives and enough to the point that they would be inspired by this Jesus, this friend of sinners, including a young musician and a publisher named Will L. Thompson. No, not William, just Will L. Thompson. So this past week, as I was brushing up on my 19th century hymn writer's history, because that's what I do, in my, it's Bears, football, or it's hymn writer's history. One of those two, I kind of bounce back and forth. I discovered this, like many of us, that this Will Thompson, he grew up in the church in the mid-1800s. Now, I'm not saying any of you are that old. I'm just saying a lot of us grew up in the church, right? That grew up in the mid-1800s, and he learned the stories, and he sang the songs. But when he went away to college, he first went to the Boston Conservatory of Music, this highly prolific music school in the East, and then on to Germany to study, to, to, to compose, to write music, to publish music. But while he was there, he kind of left the faith of his youth. And he wandered away and, and it kind of uh, slowly inched away from God and went on to more important things like seeking a lucrative career as the next great music publisher. But when he returned from Germany, he was bound and determined, as a lot of us are starting out early in our lives, we think that work will fill us up. We think that climbing the ladder of success or accumulating more stuff is going to fill us up, and that's where Thompson was at. And Will says, this is, this is the crossroads of my life. He says, but he found that time and time again, the music that he put out, the music that he published would not sell. He took it to over, you know, dozens of publishers and nobody would take it. His life was at a crossroads and the last thing he thought, the last thing I want to do is go back to the church and admit that I need help. But just like God's people in the Old Testament, Thompson was wandering away leading a life of sin and indifference to God. The church was only a memory. For a lot of us maybe can resonate with that, with, with him, with Thompson. The, the church was a memory, a place filled with, man, it's filled with weird people. Crazy people. Hypocrites. Too much judgment, too much arguing, too many rules, too much stuff that's just irrelevant to my life, he thought. Well, an imperfect community, an imperfect home, for sure. And yet, one of the most affectionate ways throughout Scripture that God refers to his church as is his bride. Is his bride. And he says of the church in Revelation 21, John says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed, for her husband. The church, all of us, God's bride, the church that Thompson had wandered away from, the church that maybe for some of you is just, well, it's just something I do once a year. Husbands, I'm sure that you can remember, just close your eyes for a moment, however long ago it was. Do you remember the moment when you saw your bride coming down the aisle in her dress? I know if you're anything like me, you were just thinking inside, pull it together, man, pull it together. Don't cry more than she does. That's not very manly. I remember that moment, thinking I married up. 
And then my... <laughs> and then the next thought that crossed my mind is, man, I'd do anything for her. There isn't anything that I wouldn't do for her. I mean, is she perfect? Like the bride of the church, is she... Per- yes, she's perfect. <laughs> but all... Well, she's not. And neither am I, and neither is this bride either. But I remember thinking in that moment, there isn't anything I wouldn't do for her. As messy, as broken as the church is, it's still God's bride. And he's thought that we were worth dying for as well. That baby became a man and became our savior. And 2,000 years ago, on a cross in Calvary, his arms were outstretched wide with nails in his wrists and in his feet, with his arms open wide once again, saying, come home, come home. Are you weary Are you heavy laden? Are you burdened? Come home, pleading with us. Put your faith and your hope and your trust in me. And that is exactly what Will L. Thompson did. He was playing a very long game of hide and seek until he heard the voice of his father who had been calling out to him the whole time. Come home, Will. It's time to come home. You've wandered for far too long. And out of that experience, out of those emotions, Thompson wrote one of the most beautiful hymns that if you grew up in the church and you've cracked open that hymnal, one of the most beautiful hymns, even if you didn't grow up in the church, you've heard the song softly and tenderly. And out of his experience, the lyrics go, Thompson writes, softly and tenderly. Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. Come home, come home. You who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, come home. And I don't know about you, but I can't think of a better Christmas song. (laughs) It's the reason that he came that Christmas night to earnestly and tenderly through the cries of an infant say tonight it's time to come home and so on this Christmas the same God who created you who knows you better than you know yourself calls out to you and says come home the reason he came there's no other way to put it come out of your hiding come away from your wandering come out from trying to be good enough from being strong enough from being that put together adult that has it all figured out come out of your complacency of simply being a church attendee and come home suddenly that familiar Christmas tune I'll be home for Christmas takes on a whole different meaning. Because 2,000 years ago, in the obscure town of Bethlehem, God said once and for all, no space 
between us. No space between us anymore. Home is coming to you. God's light has always been a sign of coming home. No matter what that looks like for you tonight, that voice that called out to Will Thompson, that voice of my father that called out to me in hiding, the voice that called out to God's people over thousands of years, that same voice calls out to us tonight. This is for all of us. So if you would, pick up the candle that is in front of you, not behind you, but in front of you. In a moment, the ushers will come forward and they'll be lighting the ends of the rows for you. And just as a reminder, we invite you to tip the unlit candle and we'll have a less exciting evening here together. But as your candle is lit tonight, and we join in and we worship. Don't just think about one more Christmas Eve gone by. Don't just think, oh, you know, this is a nice holiday tradition that we did. Listen. Listen for that voice. The voice of your Father calling you home. A light that can shine in your darkness tonight.